Welcome to the Fish Nerds. It's a celebration of fish, fishing, and eating fish. Today, we're going to take a little break from our normal uh, segmented show, and we have one special episode with uh, Jason Sacco. Uh, and just kind of a forewarning on this, if you are not into hunting or don't want to hear about big game hunting, this may not be the show for you. But if you want to hear uh, about something a little bit different, you might enjoy this interview with Jason Sacco. Uh, and yeah, so enjoy the show. Oh, and this episode is brought to you by Mystery Tackle Box. Mystery Tackle Box is a monthly subscription tackle box company where every month you get a special gift in the mail of all kinds of crazy good lures that you can check out. And right now, if you want to support the Fish Nerds, go to mysterytacklebox.com. Enter promo code FISHNERDS, all one word, at checkout. Save $5 off your first month. You can cancel any time. So that's it. Enjoy the show. FISHNERDS.com. You know, I'm so excited. Today, we are being visited from Texas with uh, Jason Sacco. Jason is the host of the Outdoor Adventures with Jay Sacco podcast. And hey, Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Clay. I appreciate it. Yeah, and tell me first of all, you, you've got what eight or nine episodes in the in the bag already, so you're relatively new in the podcast world. I want to know first of all, why are you podcasting, um, as opposed to any other media you can get to, uh, and then like what inspired you to do it, and what is your goal for the podcast, if there is one at all? Sure. The well, going way back. I grew up with a friend's parents who owned a radio station in a real small town in Michigan. And so got to mess around with the radio bug and, and the whole nine yards. But life got in the way and you move on and you do other things. And so as I got into hunting, I said, this is a great medium for somebody. I am handicapped, so I can't always uh, get out and get available to do some of the hardcore hunts that I would love to participate in. And this was a great way for me to talk with the people that do get out in the field, share their stories. And a lot of the hunting podcasts lack that that angle, that interest. So I thought I would bring it to everybody that's out there. Well, that's that's fantastic. And and so so you had some experience when you're younger. Now you're doing this and trying to find a new angle. Um, and are you intimidated by the giant world of outdoor podcasts or you feel like you've been welcomed so far into this world? surprisingly i feel like i've been welcomed and i think i've i've done uh, about 17 episodes now okay and they've they've been quite uh dynamic in scope some have been an hour some have been 15 minutes so there's no real common time frame yeah isn't that the uh, fun of podcasting there's no rules you just do what you feel like doing it's like the wild west what am i gonna do whatever i want it's my show exactly yeah. and nobody's gonna punch you in the face well yeah that's what dave <laughs> dave jackson always says right <laughs> exactly yeah so and, and they uh, will though well yeah <laughs> some of the topics uh, but in the outdoor podcast industry a lot of these folks that are outdoor guides uh hunters things they're very good at that but they're not so good at telling their story right uh and so they can really lead to some quite boring listening mm -hmm. and that's what i thought about is growing up listening to radio disc jockeys and people that were very good at telling the story how could i try to bring that story out of these guys who have some very interesting stories just might not always be the best at telling them right well we can't all be good at everything see i'm a good storyteller but not a great guide so well, there's the win. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm not a I'm probably not a good customer to some, and uh, probably not a good guide to any. Yeah, but uh, I do like to tell and like to pull that story out of people. Well, you know the reason that people do all this stuff. I mean, ultimately it comes down to like everyone who hunts and fishes fishes has one thing in common: they all talk about it, and so it gives everyone that commonality because everyone who hunts and fish has a story to tell about it, has an adventure to share. And so I exactly. guess if you can pull that from them, then you're you're ahead of the game. Well, let's hope so. It's been fun so far. Uh, as you said, I'm I'm just new to this, so I, I definitely don't have the catalog of uh, experiences and podcast episodes behind me that some do. Uh, but you've got to start somewhere, and it's been a great learning experience. This has uh, really been a lot of fun to 
learn both the interview and the editing and everything else that goes along into it. Well, you came into it in a good time. And I, I for one, as I've been doing this for a few years now, um, think there's not nearly enough outdoor podcasts. And so welcome to the, uh, welcome to the world of outdoor podcasting. And I think you're going to well, find you. your biggest hurdle is when you go to these outdoor shows and you say, hey, I make a podcast, they're going to be looking at you like, oh, what? Because the, the outdoor world is not savvy yet in the podcasting stream, you know, and you have to really educate your audience on what a podcast is. And that's the most biggest challenge I've had with uh, with going to big outdoor shows. Yeah, that's really been the truth. I've I've almost if they're I hate to say age wise, but if they're not younger, I just use the term Internet radio show. That's what we do. We use on demand on demand radio. Because uh, you know. that that clicks instantly. They're like they're like, oh, okay. Yep. And then it's how do I listen? And you go to your website, push play. You don't have to complicate it. You know, if they don't exactly. know what a podcast is, explain what a podcast app is a waste of breath. So you just go to my website, push the play button, you're good to go. And that's why I optimize my website for podcasting. So it's just right there in your face, push play. Yeah, we so. had a gentleman at this recent show I was at that had an iPhone. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let me show you something. Can I borrow your phone for a moment? And he's like, sure. And so I pulled up the I, the podcast app and uh, typed in the name of my podcast. And he was just like, I had no clue what this app was even for. It's amazing, isn't it? And the whole and world is open up right there. You just changed his life. <laughs> so he, he saw that. I, uh, of course, hit subscribe. And then... Uh, and then let him go and said, just all you got to do is plug your headphones in and, and listen and find a topic, find something that you like, type it in there and you'll probably find somebody talking about it. And he was, he was just amazed. I'm, I feel bad for anybody that was coming up to talk to him about hunting afterwards, because I think he was going to get sidetracked <laughs> real easy. <laughs> that's how I am. I get it. So that's cool. Well, Hey, welcome to the podcasting world. And, uh, well, thank and you. I'm glad you're, you're part of it. And I hope that you get, you know, your first uh, 50 episodes under your belt and then find your comfort zone and get another 50 and it just gets more and more fun. It also gets easier, <laughs> which is nice. Well, yeah. that's, that's what I'm hoping is there's just that learning curve. And, uh, and as you start to get that under your belt, yes, I, I appreciate your, uh, help and welcome. And it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Cool. Well, and it's, it's interesting. I wanted to have somebody on growing up in Northern Michigan or in Michigan, Ice fishing was not an uncommon thing. It's the best thing. I live down here in South Texas now, and the only ice fishing that gets done is when the ice is in your drinks. <laughs> and so it's it's a very it, it's a different concept for people to think that you actually go stand out on ice, and why would you do that? And they don't get how fun it is. So it was really neat to to do this kind of partner up with you to to talk and and just bring a different. Um, a different perspective to to the podcast. Yeah, it's great. And and uh, as as uh, you pointed out, uh, ice fishing is my thing. I love all kinds of fishing. Uh, and by the way, my show is not just about fishing. It's about fish fishing and eating fish. The entire world of fish is appropriate for us. So whether it's a fishy news story or a fishy biology story, we have uh, correspondents around the world ready to report on all things fish related. So we are not just fishing, although I'm a little obsessed lately with just fishing, but <laughs> in the podcasting world, as you know, you do what you feel like doing and it's your show. So it's totally great. Exactly. Well, that's fantastic. And that you got, you know, when you listen to your episodes, you ha like you said, you have people that will report in from all around. Yeah. And that's really, really unique and really, really neat. Well, it saves me time. So. <laughs> well, that too. So, yeah. But no, we have. So we, when, we, when Dave and I, Dave was my previous uh, co-host and co-founder of the Fish Nerds, uh, we started off, uh, the Fish Nerds started off with a different title. We were called the Catch Em All Guys. And we were on a quest to catch and eat every kind of freshwater fish in New Hampshire. And we got from there that we got all kinds of fame and fortune, got on public radio and Chronicle, the news and every newspaper in the state report on our, on our adventures. And we started off as writers. And then it turned out writing is really hard. Uh, you know, telling stories verbally for me is, is easy, but writing is, is a challenge. So a podcast was born and we rebranded uh, into the Fish Nerds and it just kind of took off. And then uh, we did about 110 episodes um, with Dave and he decided to leave the show. And when we announced that, um, our fans, uh, you know, we have thousands of people who are paying attention to us said, whoa, whoa, we don't want the show to go away. How can we help? 
And so I created a, a little group of uh, Fish Nerds fans, a little private group of people who are really dedicated. And we created this called Correspondence Program. Now our fans are now working for the show, creating content for us. And it really has changed the dynamics of the show. And it really gets our, our audience engaged in what we're doing. And it diversifies what we're doing, which really is the key to sustainability, as you know. And that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it, I mean for me it's touching that people care enough to to contribute because you you'll you'll record Jason as you get going the only one listening will be your dog for months and the only feedback you'll get is your dog barking or your wife hassling you or you know something in your own home and then all of a sudden your fans will come out of the woodwork and go oh man I'm loving what you're doing remember episode twelve when you talked to this person or you did that and you realize that people do listen and do care about what you're saying and it, and it warms you up inside because you really do you, people don't know for like a forty minute show you're putting in four hours five hours of work for one short episode and uh, it's very, important to know that your fans should know how hard you work very true and it's interesting to get feedback uh, and every so often. I had a message yesterday with some feedback, and I'm like, oh, there, there are people listening. It's great. That's, isn't that's it? pretty cool. By the way, even negative feedback is exciting for me. You know, if, if I get an uh, iTunes review and it's negative, I love it. I'm like, wow, someone thought about me. They listened to my show for an hour, and they said something about it. And, I, you know, people don't like negative feedback, but it's still someone's listening, and it's exciting. I, I love it all. Yeah, it's, it's, a lot of, uh, it's a lot of fun to just get in there and – Feedback is it allows you to change up the show and make it better for for your listeners. Yeah. So on to that, talking about that, tell me what's going on in the fishing world up in uh, your neck of the woods. Okay, so I this year just became a licensed fishing guide. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about becoming a fishing and hunting guide in most states, uh, but in this country, every state sets their own their own way of doing things. Maine and New Hampshire have the hardest. They're known for having the hardest guide. Uh, licensing process in the country. I uh, think okay. Maine is the hardest. New Hampshire is, I think, second or third. And you have to sit through a three-hour-long oral board and and prove that you're like some sort of expert outdoors person. I'm not sure what it proves, but it, you have to get through that three-hour discussion. Um, and it and it's pretty subjective on on uh, <laughs> on what they ask you. So you do that. So I launched this program, my guide service, and I did a series on how to become a fishing guide, uh, which has been very popular downloading show. Um, so I've, I've guided my first two trips now on the ice and both have been successful. Um, and it's a lot more work than I ever expected. It's not just going fishing, as you know, when you, when you're, when you, have you hired guides before Jason? Oh yeah. Through the hunting side. And, and when I went overseas so, and I know they were working far earlier than I was up. Yeah. So when I do an ice fishing trip, I might start at seven. I might get on the ice at five, five thirty. And I'll set up the shanties and get the heaters turned on and get the coffee going and drill all the holes and get the gear organized. And so when my clients arrive, just like when you're being a, a guided with a hunted, you want your clients just to show up and then you hand them everything they need. You know, you want a fishing rod? Here you go. You want some cup of coffee? Got you covered. You want some bratwurst for lunch? No problem. We got that too. <laughs> so we just try to, it's all about, you know, you're, you're working, it's a, it's a service job. It's not a hunting or fishing job. It's a, it's a service job. It's like working at a hotel in a lot of ways. You're just about trying to get those clients comfortable and happy. And then if they catch a fish or they, or they win in their game hunt, uh, that's a bonus. But uh, it's really about getting them into the right frame of mind to tell their stories and enjoy themselves. So you're fishing just uh, local lakes around you or yeah. anywhere that they want to go? Well, so for now, uh, I live in, in the Mount Washington Valley, which is one of the biggest ski tourist towns in the country. When the people come from all over the world to come here. And my focus is on, is on fishing in the Mount Washington Valley. There's some bigger lakes, some bigger fish to be caught in the state besides here. But I'd like to keep my focus on the Mount Washington Valley because first I want the money to stay in the valley. I want people who are coming here to stay here, spend their money here, have fun here. Uh, and I'm really dedicated to that. But the other reason is, is I know the waters here so well. And if someone pays me to fish uh, in a lake an hour and a half away, that means I have to go fish that hour and a half lake away, you know, for two weeks before they arrive so I can learn the water and find the fish before they get here. And that's a, that's a lot of work. And I don't guide for a living. 
uh, yet. I'm just starting out. I have four other jobs I have to get done, <laughs> and uh, and so I, I don't have the time for that. But um, but I have fished all of the state. I do know where most of the fish live, and if you know enough about habitat and stuff, you can usually work it out. But um, focusing on the Mount Washington Valley, trying to get those guys spending their money locally. Oh, fantastic! Now, yeah. what is the what is the big local fish that inhabits the waters there? So my big one in the last two weeks has been uh, lake trout, which are a togue, they call them in some places. And my first guided trip, I had never been successful at ice fishing for a togue before, for lake trout. Uh, and that was two weeks ago. The guy who hired me is a fan of the show. And on my show, I announced two things. One, I don't like fishing on Silver Lake, which is my biggest lake near me. And two, I don't like trout fishing for togue. Uh, and so mostly because that lake is so terrible. It's a really horrible place. Um, beautiful, but no fish in it. And so when he hired me, he wanted me to do those two things. He goes, well, since you said you don't want to fish Silver Lake, I'm, I'm going to pay you to go there. And you said you don't like, like fishing for lake trout, I'm going to pay you to go lake trout fishing. And I said, all right, well, you give me money, but uh, you're not going to catch any fish. And so I spent all night researching the lake, looking at maps. I, I've already fished it for seven years and not been successful. So I'd already given that lake up. And uh, the morning of the trip, my snowmobile broke, so we had to walk out to the spot I chose. The snow was 12 inches deep with four inches of slush under it and 10 inches of ice. So it was really not ideal for walking on, but I made him do it because he told me to. And uh, we went out, and uh, immediately, within a few minutes, he caught his first big lake trout, and he ended up at 12 the day, which um, a good lake trout day might be two lakers any, any place. And I, wow. I put him on 12, and it was dumb luck. Uh, <laughs> so that was my first trip. And dumb luck's better than no luck. Well, I, I well I did make homework, so I'm not sure that's fair to call it dumb luck. I I knew <laughs> roughly where to go and how to do it. And then since then, I've taken um, I invited all the local media to go fishing with me. So the local morning radio show came out fishing with me, and while on the air talking about what I do, the DJ caught a lake trout. So which gold? Fact All that, off a of silver lake that you don't like to that fish. That I, I freaking hate that lake. And then uh, the newspapers come out and fish with me since then, and everyone's been successful. And they're doing uh, this weekend, the radio is doing a five-minute special on ice fishing in the Mount Washington Valley. The newspaper's doing a front-page spread on ice fishing in the Mount Washington Valley. And my my stuff is all featured front and center. Because I, I, it was my idea for them both to do it. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't cost me any money. You just have to work him. You just got to call him up and say, hey, you guys want to go fishing? And they they go, really? We can do that? And they go, yeah, let's go. That's it. So outside of lake trout, mm -hmm. uh, you've got perch? We have yellow perch and white perch, yeah. And uh, yellow perch, of course, are, are super easy, nice native fish to catch. White perch, a little more work, um, not native. And then, uh, you know, all your warm water species that you have down in Texas, you know, we got a lot of those up here. So we all your largemouth, smallmouth bass, bluegills, pumpkin seeds, bullheads, all kinds of stuff live here as well. And so you have a lot of opportunity for a lot of different kinds of fish. I'm a diversity guy. So I like to hit a small pond and catch as many different kinds of fish as possible. But whatever the clients want to catch, I mean, that's what we're going to go for. Oh, fantastic. Now, I see south uh, and west of you is that Lake Winnipesaukee. Yeah, beautiful lake. Yeah, love it. Is that where you like to do a lot of fishing? I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. I do like to fish it. It's a great fishery. I don't guide out there, though. Uh, and there's two reasons. One, one again, it's an hour and a half from my house to go out there. It's just too much work. Uh, but it. the other is I have other friends in the industry who have been guiding there for years. And I'm not, I'm not ready to put my feet in their waters, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't want to sure. undercut them. Right now, my first year out, my prices are lower than their prices. I, I don't think I, in fairness, can charge you know the premium rates they charge. So if I was a guide, I went to Pisaki first year out of the gate, I'd be charging my rates, which are a little bit lower than their rates, uh, and it'd be undercutting them. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to like alienate anybody in the industry. Um, in fact, I just like podcasting. I think there's room for everybody. I think with the guide services, there's not enough people hunting and fishing. We need more people doing it and good guides encourage the growth of those industries. So I, I don't feel like it's competition, but I don't want to put them in a position where they feel like it is. Oh, okay. So, and you're right on the main border. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm 10 minutes away. So, now, does your guide license cross over to Maine, or would that be a whole new place that you'd have to go to get covered under? Yeah, that's a whole new process. And Maine is a different planet in fishing than New Hampshire, believe it or not. It's a, it's 10 minutes away, but it's a different culture. Uh, and, and you cross that border, and everyone is different. Uh, it's really interesting. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, you're definitely going to stay in that, that, that North Conway, Conway area to, to do your, your thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, and it's a lot of fun up here and and there's so much to do art, music, culture, it's all right here, just like Little Valley, and again, it's one of the, it's it's, number, it's one of the like top five ski towns in the country. So there's thousands of people coming here every month to go skiing and shopping, whatever else. My hope is like they're in town for a week. I'm gonna go shopping. I'm gonna do a little bit of skiing. I'm gonna oh, I can go ice fishing. Hey kids, come on, get in the car. We're going fishing, and then they just pay me and we take them out and have a great time. Have a good time. Oh yeah. See, we would fish a lot on the Great Lakes. I grew up on Lake Huron. I can't imagine how awesome that was. And uh, it was pretty neat. Uh, you know, I always used to freak out when we drive the cars out onto the lake because yep. you always imagine the car going through. Yep, seen that. Uh, <laughs> but I, I never really ice. Well, I rarely ice fished the small inland lakes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but you'd go out and you'd fish primarily on on Lake Huron. Uh, mostly you were looking for walleye. At least that's what we were when we were kids is we were out walleye fishing. Mm-hmm. I love, I've never caught a walleye through the ice, but they're delicious. Now, when you're fishing those big lakes, are you catching a lot of fish or is it a few fish here and there? Yes. Yeah. And it could uh, be either it, one. <laughs> yeah. You can go out there and just, you know, you can't hardly get your, your pole in the water and you're just reeling another fish out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can have days when you just sit there. And, and now this going back nowadays, guys can drop fish finders down there and sonar. And I mean, we were just going out there with some bait and, and fish poles. That, so it was a whole different ball game. You didn't know what was around. Yeah. I cheat. I use the sonars. I'm, I'm all in on electronics. And I, if I was doing it, so would I, yeah. I makes it a great way to actually make yourself a, more efficient. Um, probably the best time I ever had ice fishing though was uh, in Ontario on Lake Simcoe and I don't know if you're familiar with that lake yeah I've heard of it (laughs) Uh, it, it's for perch fishing Mm -hmm. holy cow I mean everybody that was out there was was limiting out and these guys take their shanties pretty darn serious I've seen Um, them oh my gosh I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about there you know, I I had a shanty that was a sled that you pulled out on the ice and, and flipped the top over you. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys, I went into one shanty and you walked into the front foyer of the shanty and you took your boots off, put your put your slippers on. You went to the next room where they did cooking and you went into the third room, which is actually where all the guys were fishing. That's amazing, isn't it? And that was just that wasn't uncommon. There was multiple ones out there like that. And Ooh. uh so if you ever get a chance to head north and into Ontario, uh, fish Lake Simcoe, it's an absolutely amazing time. Yeah, and I, I think, too, the the uh, culture that grows around those fishing villages that pop up is something worth exploring, too, even if you're not fishing. you know. And, and ice fishermen are notoriously friendly. And oh, yeah. you go up and you talk to any of these guys, first of all, they're proud of their shanties. They want to show it to you. So if you start talking, they're going to invite you in. They're going to offer you a bowl of chili or some chowder. They're going to show you everything. And so I think one of the things I always tell people, I encourage people to go out in the ice and talk to fishermen because it's the friendliest crowd of people and they're bored and they want to talk to somebody. <laughs> so yeah, I would say 90% of them out there will just absolutely will share 100% of their knowledge. Yeah, it's amazing. They just dump it right on you. It's fantastic. So yeah, a lot of good stuff. So you're down in Texas, right? I am. So what part of Texas? I live in San Antonio, uh, down in South Texas. I've been to San Antonio. My dog is from Texas. Yeah. Blue, oh, well, she's a blue healer. Good. Around got, he, around here uh, in our area, our humane society imports almost all their dogs from Texas. Oh, okay. The blue healers almost exclusively from Texas, <laughs> uh, and they're really popular around here. But I guess there's a lot of stray blue healers down there, and they just uh, ship them out. Yeah, they're a common uh, livestock dog yep. down here, along with. Uh, uh, blackmouth curs mm-hmm. and and the catahoulas are very common down here. Yeah, uh, and then the state dog is the blue lacy. Oh, beautiful and dog! That's a fantastic dog. It's probably the smartest dog, you know. But yeah, those Queenslands. That's what you have as a Queensland healer, correct? Uh, yeah, blue healer. Yeah, blue healer. Yep. Yeah, yep. or yeah, Australia. Great. They call them Australian cattle, cattle dogs up here. They don't call them healers, but same dog. Yeah, same yeah. and great dog. 
tenacious, mm-hmm. uh, just uh, just a very smart dog. Yeah, love him. So in Texas, and you're and you're a big sport. You know, you fish, but you're a hunting guy. Like that's your thing. Yes. And you've done all kinds of hunting. Have you traveled the world to do this? I know you you interview people around the world. You're always talking about big game hunting in Africa and that sort of thing. Have you done that sort of thing? I did. I spent a week hunting in Zimbabwe a few years back. And uh, I've gone hunting in Ontario, but I I miss the bear. So bears are one. I'm zero. Oh, that's too bad. You should come hang out in my backyard. All right. (laughs) I'll do that. Yeah. yeah, you guys have quite the bear problem. We do. I've had uh, chickens eat my uh, chickens eat my bear. bears eat my chickens a couple of times. Uh, and now it's interesting about New Hampshire is you don't need on your own property. I can shoot all the bears I want to uh, without a license, but I can't invite like other people to do it for me. Like I can't, oh, yeah, that... I can't lease the land and that sort of thing. I can, I can hunt my own bears, but I don't hunt at all. And it's not because I'm anti-hunting. You want to know why I don't hunt? Why is that? I don't want to deal with large dead mammals in the woods. To me, it just seems like too much work. True. <laughs> yeah. That... Well, I'll tell you what. You'll probably get an old timer or two around there, but they'll tell you that that bear meat is fantastic. Uh, that's what I've heard. I've heard people who have never eaten it complain about how gay meat is and people who like it love it. Uh, and that's about it. So. Yeah. You get the roast and you cook them all day in a crock pot and mm-hmm. y- uh, you'll have a very, very good meal going on there. Yeah. If I do ever take a bear and if my bear, if the bear here, by the way, ever attacks my chickens again, I will find a way to kill him. Um, I will. My, my plan would be to make like a bunch of bear chili and get a bunch of bear meat prepared ahead of time. And then when I'm ice fishing uh, at lunchtime, that serve my clients bear meat. And then they'll yeah. get that like authentic experience. Man, I went ice fishing. I caught a fish. I ate bear, and they'll tell all their friends about it. And you know, exactly. It's beautiful. Yeah, we don't have uh, East Texas has a few bears. Uh, when it was real dry here a couple of years ago, we had a, quite a few bears coming up out of Mexico and uh, hitting the corn feeders and stuff that people use to feed corn to the deer. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that we were seeing uh, quite a few bear pictures, but. Now that the rains have come and it's it's kind of freshened up and and there's food around, the bears don't don't come over too much anymore. Yeah, and you're in less populous. I mean, Texas is so big. There's plenty of places for bears to go where they're not going to interact with people. And New Hampshire is kind of a smaller state, and the bears are in our backyards, so they they live here in our yards. Right. So yeah. That's uh, that. That would be a unique thing to walk out the back door and walk into. Well, it's neat. Like this this uh, past fall. Um, excuse me, the springtime, my, I'm at work and my wife texts me and uh, she goes, hey, I just wanted to tell you, send you this picture. And she had just put the kids in the minivan and walked into the house. And between the minivan and the front door of the house, there was this, like, you know, like 400 pound bear just sitting there. Wow. And, and by the way, my kids and my wife, uh, none of them are afraid of bears. It, it doesn't in the least frighten them. They just walk out and yell at the bear and the bear walks away. That's it. There's no aggression. It's not a scary thing. Bears don't like people. They just walk away. So, yeah. But a That's lot of people. Amazing. A lot of people go, "Oh yeah, I do something about that." Yeah, the bear's not doing anything. It just happens to live in our yard. <laughs> you now, know? your dog doesn't lose his mind. She loves the bear. Uh, her favorite is finding the big piles of bear poop and rolling in it. Yeah, that's her thing. Yeah, that um, would be a thing I'd not be happy about. Yeah, she does like chasing the bear. If she's outside and the bear's outside, the bear will be running through the woods up in the trees. And she thinks that's the greatest fun ever, chasing bears. Um, but yeah, it doesn't just, just everyone's good. I mean, the bears, we, we kind of have this like, agreement right now where if they don't bother my chickens or eat my trash, I won't eat them. Uh, and I've, expl- <laughs> I've explained this to them, uh, and that's it. So. Um, but yeah, it's fun. And again, I haven't killed one yet because I really like seeing them, <laughs> but but it may happen. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, wildlife as a as a whole is a great to watch. Mm-hmm. And it's, for the most part, the bulk of the money that goes into wildlife management is from the hunting and fishing licenses in the industries that we pursue. Oh, I totally agree with that. I have uh, people and- who protest my show and they publicly in my area and they also uh email my boss at my day job which i work with kids during the day and they question whether or not i can possibly be a good human being because i fish and i talk about fishing and and what i and i and they confront me in person and i'll say well have you bought a fishing license and they go why would you ask me that i said because the money goes to conservation and what money have you put towards conservation You've bought markers from Walmart. You've made a nice big cardboard sign. You bought it at Walmart. 
tell me about your conservation work. Nothing? Well, then you're just talking. You're just making noise. But I put money in. I put money in the hat. And I also encourage people, even if they're not fishing, to buy a fishing license. I don't know about your state, but in New Hampshire, we have what's called a hike safe program. So if you buy a fishing license, it's the same as buying a hiker safety card. It's like an insurance against you get lost in the woods, fishing game will come rescue you. If you don't have that and you get lost in the woods, fishing game will still come get you, but then you get a bill afterwards. Oh, interesting. (laughs) We don't have high taxes. We have the second lowest taxes in the country in New Hampshire. And so we have to get our revenue someplace. And so I encourage everyone, buy your fishing license. That goes to conservation and acts as insurance if you get lost in the woods and need rescue. And it's 58 bucks a year. It's small money to pay. Well, and and that's the thing. You've got not only is it the hunting and fishing licenses that are sold – if every time you buy lures, every time you buy a pole, mm-hmm. every time you buy a shanty, anything that is outdoor related, part of that tax goes back into conservation. Absolutely. And these anti-hunters get out there and what they're 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 not conservationists. They no. misuse the word. That's they're right. preservationists. Right. And preservation is great for a building. But you have to have the conservation, which is the wise use of resources. Absolutely. Um, and, and they they don't get that disconnect. No, they don't. And and I, it's hard. I don't argue with them too much in real life. Mostly I, I'm nice to them and they're mean to me. <laughs> and I just say, you know, for someone who claims to be kind, you're being awfully rude. Um, but I, I don't – you can't argue with them. You're not going to convince them just like they're not going to convince us. Um, so there's no – there's no change going to happen. You know, they're going to do Correct. what they're going to do. Um, I and if they if they get me publicly or they get me on my Facebook page or whatever, I just thank them for the content because for my show, it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, totally good. Um, but I, and again, but to my small town, um, not only do they confront you publicly, but they also might you might have to work with those people in your career someplace. And so uh, even if I disagree with them and they're rude to me, I am never mean to them. No, and, you've got to put that best image forward. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I have a really good time taking people fishing and I have a really good time hearing people who disagree with me. If they can do it in a way that doesn't, isn't mean, you know, but it's a different world. Now, I was listening to your early show and you were talking about big game hunting in Africa. And you were also saying that you support any kind of legal fishing and hunting. And Correct. this is where you and I kind of disagree a little bit. I, I agree with your with the concept of your argument, um, but I have a, at an ethical level, like like I don't agree with, for example, in fishing, um, people always limiting out. Like I agree there should be limits, but there are people who fish, and their goal is to catch a limit every single day, and just for the sake of doing it. And I, I don't like that kind of fishing. That's not my style. And when it comes into hunting, I don't know enough about it to argue against hunting things. But I do, I do get a little queasy when I see you know some of the big game hunting in Africa and stuff. But I don't have a good case to make against it. It just makes me uncomfortable. Um, probably like those uh, preservationists feel. I probably feel like they do about those things. What's your thoughts on people like me who can't quite get on their brains on those bigger hunting things? Well, you know, it's not so much using the example that you gave of the person that limits out. Yeah. I don't know. We do know those kind of people exist. Mm-hmm. They're probably in far less numbers than we, we think. I think you're right. Um, but that's why there's a limit. Right. And so, you know, the I, I go back to the same thing that if the person paid the money and is doing it legally. Now, if that limit says six and they got seven. Right. That approaching. Then I think they should be whacked. Right. I agree with that. Um, but if that limit says six a day have to trust whatever game and fish department set that limit Mm -hmm. that that's a number that could healthily be extracted from the uh population without causing any problems knowing that that guy might go out there and try to get six a day and maybe only get four five right two so yes i i also bank on the idea that there's probably more people like you and I mm-hmm. that just go out there to have fun uh, versus the person that's going out there to just, just hammer it. Yeah. I kind of with you on that one. And and I have, I, and I go back and forth on it because there are days where I do want to limit out. I want to, you know, eat a pile of trout tonight. I'm going to go and catch, mm-hmm. you know, my two trout limit through the ice and I'm going to eat trout for dinner. 
Um, I think it's the people who just because it's almost like a um, like a trophy for their refrigerator. They wonder how much fish can I stack in that freezer, you know? And, and I don't know. I guess it gets a little queasy. But then we get into the bigger game hunting, and I see yes. these big lions and the big elephants and all kinds of. I don't have elephants, but but and I'm then I, then I get a little more uncomfortable with that stuff. But I hear your point on it. Well, and with the bigger game animals, the African elephant, the African lion, the uh, the the what's called the big five, mm-hmm. the hippopotamus, things of that nature. Those are unique, especially for Americans, because really our only exposure to those is in the zoo. Right. It's like our pets. Right. Yeah. So um, if you want to see the anti-hunters really come up in arms, it's anytime I post a picture where I've of the one I took when I took a giraffe. You took a giraffe? Uh, yes. Get off my show. Uh, well, <laughs> but you have to you have to figure there's a. Wow. That's insane. Giraffe are uh, a game species, just sure. like anything else. Sure. Now, is the population going down? Yes. But it's not necessarily been proven that it's from sport hunting. Right. It's giraffe are easy to poach. And why are they easy to poach? Because they're big. Right. And one or two shots from a poacher's rifle will feed a lot of people with a giraffe. Right. Now, the property that I was on hunting in Zimbabwe they didn't have any predators. The giraffes didn't. And when I talked to the manager of the property, there was so many giraffes on that property. They were going to end up culling 55 of them that year. And you sit there and most people say, well, why don't they just move them? <laughs> like that's well, easy to do, right? Okay. Move them where? Yeah. Then what? And at once who's going to pay for it? Uh, and there's a, I even hate to use his name, but there's a person that considers themselves an actor, and his name's Ricky Gervais, Mm -hmm. and he's very much anti-hunting. Yep. And when the whole issue with the lion getting killed in Africa went down- By that dentist. Zimbabwe, right. Uh, There was a lot of of, uh, finger-pointing going on, and there's a gentleman that's a professional hunter, a fantastic uh, guy named Ivan Carter, Mm -hmm. said, okay- Here's what we'll do. Anybody that is not into hunting but wants to come over and pay the same amount of money to photograph a buffalo that a person hunting that buffalo would take it, he said, we'll do that. We'll mark that buffalo out, and that buffalo will be considered your buffalo. Right. But it won't die. You'll just get the pictures from it. Right. So they're not putting their money where their mouth is. Exactly. Yeah. And that's Zero and, people took that up. And that's usually the case with that preservation mentality is they're, they're – they're against it, but they're not actually going to put their money in an area that will do the job that they want to do. You know, and if you look right, and there's a there's a thing that floats around uh, a number of social media sites. If you look at Kenya, who stopped sport hunting mm-hmm. in either the late seventies or early eighties, their population density of wildlife is is virtually gone. Uh. But if you look at a place like South Africa, where there's there's regulated and and very strong sport hunting, animal numbers are flourishing, and not only just for the animals that are native to the area, but also for something like a, a rhinoceros, mm-hmm. which is being poached everywhere else. But once they're put under the protection of the game farms, where the the money's there to protect them on a day by day basis. They flourish. Right. Well, there's that. So so let's bring it more local. Okay, let's talk coyotes. Sure. Okay, so a lot of hunters in New Hampshire and around the country I see shoot coyotes for fun. Yes. And they just kill them off. They don't eat them. They don't do anything with them. They just kill them. And so the science is coming back on coyotes that they're actually adapted very well for that kind of sport. And by killing them off, actually increases the population of coyotes rather than decreasing it. Have you heard this? I have not, but that really wouldn't surprise me because they're extremely intelligent. Yeah. So they adapt and uh, and figure out what – it wouldn't surprise me that coyotes are good at determining what the older calls are fake. Mm-hmm. Uh, these newer calls are, I think, a harder process for them with these digital sounds. Yeah. Well, it, it's, uh, it's more to do with um, – just so it has something to do with the calls, but it's it's more to do with the population density and they chemically their body changes. If there's a lot of coyotes in the 
or if there's enough coyotes in the area, then they only have one or two pups. So if you take a lot of coyotes out of the area, they'll have nine pups, eight pups. And so they, their population changes with how many coyotes are in their area. And they know through the calls and scent and other reasons how many, podca- how many podcasts, how many coyotes <laughs> are there. Uh, and so their population grows as you hunt them as opposed to decreasing as you hunt them. It's, it has an inverse relationship. Uh, very well could be. That's yeah. not a study I've seen, but it wouldn't surprise me in the Go- slightest Google bit. Google it. You'll really enjoy it. I found it really surprising. Um, again, I don't know how I feel with people hunting coyotes. I have a problem with people not eating what they hunt. <laughs> so it's, I, well, I always get, you know, if you're going to kill something, do something with it. I, I just, killing things bothers me if you're not going to eat There's it. also the the idea that you have to control predators to a degree. Sure, but you can eat them. Um, They're edible. Oh, sure. Yeah, you can eat them. I've, I'm not sure if uh, the coyote is something that people would eat. I guess it'd be like a dog. I I think so. I think culturally, so here's where it comes down to cultural. Like, I think even hunters are squirmish about eating dogs. Like a hunter who will eat anything still might not eat a coyote because they've got dogs. You know, it's it's too close. <laughs> yeah, and that's very that's very true. It's a it's not a acceptable food source here in the in the states. Right. Um. And, you know, I've seen guys sit out there and shoot uh, prairie dogs. Yes. Delicious. And you, I'm not sure I would eat those. Um, and I'm not sure there's much left of them to pick up after they're done shooting them. Right. Right. Uh, but so, yeah, it's a lot of that gets left out. And, and for example, if you're shooting the prairie dogs, they leave those out and guess who eats them? Coyotes. The coyote. Yep. So it's, it's kind of that circle of life, but, um, you know, there's as long as it's and, and I've said this, as long as the person is buying a hunting license mm-hmm. or a fishing license, following the rules and doing what's set by their state that's legally set by their state. Then I would be a hypocrite to to not support them. Yeah. See, I'm a hypocrite. So that's my problem because <laughs> I don't agree with all the rules, although I, I don't go after the person. You know, if someone's following the rules, it's not their fault. You know, you'd be better off if you don't agree with the rules. Go after the rules. Go to the hearings. Have the conversations with your with the people. Sure. Not the hunters sure. and fishermen. They're not doing anything wrong. They're following the rules. It's not. Yeah, their and fault. if you don't like that, then you got to go to the rule uh, making. You know, the legislator. Right. Legislation and say why. Yeah. And they're either going to listen to you or they're going to throw you out. Yeah. Um. So it's. Like I said, I've gone under the assumption that as long as it's verifiable and it's it's rules that are set in place and nobody's breaking them, mm-hmm. then I've got no problem to each their own. You know, I don't necessarily have any desire to chase bears with a hounds. No. <laughs> it's is, just that not thing, my, is that a thing people do? That's thing people do. It's it's, wow. it's just not something that's ever caught my attention. I'm not against it. Right. It's just not something that's ever caught my attention. But as long as it's legal and you're doing it legally, have fun. Yeah. That's that's your prerogative. You might not like to ice fish, and and you might rather chase bears with hounds. So as long as you're outside paying your your taxes and paying your licensing fees. Go for it. Well, that's that's good. I, I I think I can I can I can agree with that, you know. And so and so um, so yeah, that's that. <laughs> well, can't argue anymore on that one. Uh, yeah. No, and and hunting is certainly uh, what I tell people is the actual moment when you pull that trigger. That's the but the antithesis of it the. The climax of it, the the it, it's everything that leads up to it, which is what is fun. Right. It's the, it's the hunt. It's being outside. It's the tracking and all that sort of thing. So it, it's just the exactly. It's yeah. it's the whole package that leads up to it. So I have an idea. So I have a hunting activity for those who hate hunting. So let's say you want all that stuff. You want to trek an animal through the woods. You want to find an animal, and you want to shoot it, but you don't want to kill anything. I've, I've come up with an idea. In New Hampshire, we have a huge problem with ticks. I don't know if you have a tick problem in Texas, but 70% of all of our calf deer, uh, calf, um, sorry, not deer, of our calf um, moose 
die because of ticks. Oh, wow. And so they've been working on trying to find ways to like frontline mice and stuff to keep the ticks population down so they don't get to the deer or to deer to the uh, moose. So I think, what if we let people hunt moose, but instead of hunting with, with uh, bullets, hunt with these little syringes of like frontline? And so you get all the joy of going on the hunt and shooting the animal, but all you're doing is tagging it with this medicine that's killing the uh, killing the ticks off and allowing the moose to live. And then they yep. people who want to do it can pay a fee for it and can buy all the equipment to do it. And it's like a self-sustaining moose protection effort. And it people get to go out and have all that joy of hunting without the uh, without the killing. Oh yeah, they've got that now. A uh, very similar program in. Uh, many areas in in sub-Saharan Africa. Really? And they're called green hunts. I thought I made it and, up. Damn it. Well, no, but <laughs> a great call. I don't yeah. know that it's done here in the States. Um, but a green hunt would be you want to go out and uh, take a uh, a um, rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. But it's not capable of it because there aren't any really for whatever species you're looking at. Well, modern taxidermy can recreate that photo and, and get you ahead on the wall. Yeah, they do a great job. Replicas now are so good. So yeah. you actually go out, and maybe it's a black rhino, and uh, you shoot it with a tranquilizing gun. Mm-hmm. And in essence, what you're doing is that that property, that state, that country was going to, was going to uh, tranquilize that rhino anyway. Because they were going to give it its shots and give it its measurements. They were going to do all that to begin with, mm-hmm. but they're just getting you to pay for it. That's great. See? So, in essence, it's conservation at its its purest form. That's what all these vegans should go do. Pay the fee, go tag a rhino. Perfect. I'm in. Yeah, there you go. And then you get your picture taken with it, mm-hmm. and you've sat there, and uh, you watched all the, the vetting process go on. You get to participate in it. and. Uh, then you watch them administer the uh, the reversal. The rhino gets up and off he or she runs. Perfect. I love it. I love it. Well, that's good. So I'm, I'm going to do that now. As soon as I get a bazillion dollars to afford it, I'm, I'm in. You just got to figure out how to get people out in the woods and, and let them get close enough to the moose. <laughs> that's not that hard. They're not that smart. <laughs> you get them out there and uh, and, yeah, I guess – with your location and proximity to to Maine, you probably have a fairly healthy moose population. We fairly healthy, but the ticks are killing them. The, the tiniest animals are killing the biggest animals. It's crazy. And is it a? It's got to be a tick that's not normal. It's an invasive. No, it's it's a native tick. It's it's just out of control right now. And there's something else out of whack environmentally um, that's allowing the ticks to get out of control. I think it's a mouse or something like that. But so they move from the mice to the deer to the moose. Oh, okay. Because you'd think whatever, if that was a native tick, that animal would have developed some type of a, not resistance to it, but, Ad- well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, a, they would have adapted. Adapted to it. Now, in argue, argue, you can, I would, I would accept the argument that if 70% of moose calves are dying, 30% are stronger. And those 30% are going to pass those good genes on. And, you know, in the end, it might be okay. If we didn't do anything. I certainly hope so. Yeah. yeah but so what they're doing now is they're putting these mouse traps in the woods that dangle these little medicine in them. And the mice run through the traps and the mice get frontlined. And and so they're basically treating the mice for ticks before they Jeez. get to the moose. Wow, it's amazing what they'll do. Hey, they're trying, man. I mean, they're it's it's expensive. And New Hampshire is not known for uh throwing money away. <laughs> so yeah. No, because you guys have a view tax, is it not, New Hampshire? I, I pay a view tax, but I um we don't it's it's hard to, to quantify what that actually is. But, Got it. Yeah. But we have we even with all of our taxes, we have the highest property taxes in the country. Um we have no sales or income tax. Um we're still paying less than probably you're paying. In taxes. Interesting. Yeah. I mean I get when I get paid, I get paid everything except for the federal income tax is gone. But I'm not giving five percent off the top to the state or seven percent like in Maine or yeah. yeah, we don't have a state income tax down here where they get you is the property tax. Property tax gets us. You got to pay for the schools and the schools are worth paying for. Um, but the weird is not it's not leveled in a way that makes sense because like in our town, I pay, you know, for my house, I pay 5000 a year. I own another house town next door to this town. 
same school district, and I pay half the tax rate. So, wow. yeah, it's highly variable taxes, and that's where the big controversy comes in. But that's a whole different show. I'm not here to do a political yeah, talk show on taxes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Well, that's fantastic. It's neat. Uh, it's very neat that the guide service is, A, going for you. Yeah. Well, I've had two trips. I mean, that's hardly winning, but I haven't. We've caught fish. <laughs> so, but you just started. You're just starting out and learn it. Uh, I think more importantly is, is getting the show content, being able to tell people, yeah, here's how you become a fishing guide. And people can consume that information. Yeah, that's a really interesting. I mean, because Maine is not a, a huge, or I'm sorry, New Hampshire is not a huge state. Mm-mm. So for you to go through the program and then be able to disseminate that out, but knowing that that's one of the, that somebody in, say, Texas can listen to that and say, okay, well, if this is one of the hardest states, and I've just listened to what, what Clay had to go through. All right, what do I have to do here in Texas? Right, well, there's not a lot different. I mean, honestly, in most states, it's you go, like, I think in, in uh, North Carolina, anyone can be a guide. Just go and pay the money and you get, you get your license. Um, but the actual running the business, which I'm going through the whole process, building the business, here's the expenses, here's what it costs for insurance, here's how you buy insurance, here's the gear you have to buy, here's the like all the background information. That's all people are looking for because it's, Every state's going to be different in how to become a guide, but running a guide service is still going to be a customer service job that people have to right. understand. It's about taking care of clients. And uh, I think that's all people people can take that with them and learn it. And I'm going to make mistakes and people can learn from my mistakes. I'm going to alienate some other guides and people can learn from that. And uh, yeah, it's going to happen. <laughs> no. Do you also guide or will you be guiding in the summertime on open water? Uh, so currently my summer job already is taking people fishing, uh, but not as a guide. I just, I drive a pontoon boat and I bring kids fishing as part of a summer camp. You're not, you don't really have to be a guide to do that. Okay. Um, so I already do that on a small scale, but I think um, I'm trying to come up with an idea that's a little different than what most fishing guides are doing. Because so what I like about ice fishing is it's a whole effort. You go on the ice for a day. You're setting up camp. You're making fire. You're cooking food. You're, you know, it's it's a it's a family grouping of people. It's different than just walking a river and fly fishing. So I kind of have this concept of opening up a business where I have a pontoon boat and I take people all family on a lake for a full day of seven hours in the water. So in the morning, get on the boat. We cruise out. We catch some smallmouth bass or whatever. When the sun warms up a little bit, bring the kids to a sandbar. They can swim for a little bit. Lunch rolls up. We pull up to some bank somewhere. I bring the grill out, cook them some burgers and dogs, a little fishing after lunch, more rope swing, then back to the car. Like this whole, yep. not just fishing, but I want to have this day on the water. An adventure. And ice fishing is the same. It's, it's an ice fishing adventure. It's not just the fish. It's a whole experience. And, it's, well, it, and no one's doing this kind of thing up here. And I, so I figured I could do something different and own the business. You're, uh, what, three hours or so north of Boston? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So you've got a number of people that can come up. That is a, Mount Washington. That's the highest point, correct? Uh, yeah, in New England. Yep. In New England. So people come up in that area, summer, fall, winter, spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, they decide they... It, it's a lot cheaper, especially with a family, to rent a boat for a day than buy it and store it all year long to use it once or twice. Oh, say rent a boat and a driver. New Hampshire, well, and you, a driver. Need, you need a boat and license in New Hampshire. So it's a lot involved with that. And I'd have insurance and everything. They wouldn't have to do a thing. Show up. Yep. Just show up, show bring up. whatever you know they want and uh, have fun. It's just an easy day out. And so uh, a quick trivia, Mount Washington Valley, what do you think? the biggest draw to the area is what brings the most tourists to the Mount Washington Valley. You know, with what little, you know, <laughs> with what well, I know it's funny because I just saw something on this the other day was that cable car that runs up to Mount Washington. Yeah. The, the uh, train, the, the cog, the cog railway. Yeah. Is that so uh, to me, that might be it. I don't know. No, that's, that's, um, that's really fun. That's 80 bucks a person to ride up the mountain. Uh, on that, it's, but that's so that's gets captioned. The biggest draw to Mount Washington Valley is outlet shopping. Really? <laughs> yeah, we have because we have no taxes and we have this great outlet system. People come from Canada. We're only three hours from Quebec, and people come down in droves. Thousands and thousands of people come down from Canada, buy our stuff, and sneak it across the border. Yeah. Hey, capitalism at its best. It's a beautiful thing, and so I want their money. <laughs> yeah, and especially if they're staying down there to to for a few days yep. to shop, 
even if you're taking a couple of the guys out with a lady shop or vice versa, yep. you know, not to be too sexist there. It's hard. We, it's hard not to be sexist sometimes. We try not to be, but we're going to always, there's always a little bit of bias in this world where we, uh, the right, more, more guys fish than girls. That's the way it is. Yeah. So. And, and personally, I'd love to see a, just an, an equal basis as a father with daughters. Oh, I have two daughters who are fantastic at fishing. They'll put on princess dresses and makeup, and they'll go catch more fish than any boy on the <laughs> lake. Yeah, so. yeah. So it's it's uh, great. Well, I'm glad that's t- a taken off for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that it's something you've been able to get content for your show. Yeah. Um, you know, if you ever want to try hunting, come on down. Well, uh, you, you can't come to Texas and not go hog hunting. Yeah, we're synonymous for having all the the feral hogs. Yeah, I've heard nothing but fun about that. I have a friend who does hog hunting in Tennessee and just loves it. Fills his freezer and, up and yeah. Well, and you know what they do? There's they catch a lot of them. They live catch them, mm-hmm. and uh, they take them to the the sales stations down here. And you know where they end up? No. On the all the big East Coast cities in the restaurants when you see wild boar. Oh, that's what it is, right? Yeah. Oh, that I've eaten. Yep. I've eaten your Texas wild boar. Then totally delicious. <laughs> so if you go and pay these exorbitant prices in uh, Boston, New York, you know the big East Coast cities, mm-hmm. that 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 wild boar is generally coming out of Texas. Well, then I've helped your economy. You're welcome. Hey, fantastic. So what's next for your podcast? What's next big steps for you? What do you got going on coming up? You know, just keep working. February is shaping up to be, uh, I'm going to focus and highlight nothing but female, uh, nothing but women that are in the industry. Mm-hmm. That's good. A lot uh, of them. So a lot of them and, and not, a, they don't necessarily always get the, the most praise. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we've got several just fantastic taxidermists that will be interviewed, uh, female taxidermists. Uh, we've got a woman that does a, just a ton of hunting out of New Mexico, and uh, she's going to be uh, very interesting to talk with. So there's a, there's a number of good ones coming up, and then uh, it'll be into the springtime, and I think I'm going to do some runs with uh, a variety of different African uh, professional hunters. That's fantastic. So you got a lot, a lot of good stuff coming up, and you guys are about 18 episodes in, you said. And yes. remind people where they can find your show. Obviously, people who listen to this show already know they can go to iTunes and probably Stitcher and find you. Uh, if you, I um, should be on Stitcher. If you go to uh, the the iTunes podcast, it's just Outdoor Adventures with Jason, and mm-hmm. that's Jason with a Y. Uh, or you can go to my website at www.oawjs.com, and I have my podcast there that you can listen to. Or just go and uh, I'm on YouTube. Every podcast loads up to YouTube. Mm -hmm. So there's a number. Or uh, look me up on Facebook. Uh, uh, Outdoor Adventures with Jason on Facebook as well as as Jason Sacco on Facebook. And both of those places will contain links to my podcast as well. Of course, at fishners.com on the show notes for this episode, there will be plenty of links and photos as well. And in mine, I'll have links to all the fish nerds and, and all that good stuff because that's... It's a it's a wonderful process, and I love that you're focused on that specific area and the the fishing that you do. But then you you encompass reports from around everywhere else. I just think that's a really sharp setup. Well, we got lucky um, with having some really great listeners who really wanted to keep the show on the road, and uh, I and I do feel lucky every day that people care enough to be part of the show. So, and Jason, I thank you for uh, for joining me today because. Um, it's totally cool to talk to other podcasters. We, we always are in danger of getting too deep into the podcasting world. And I think you did an okay job steering back into fishing and hunting. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that yeah. was my fear. And uh, it's because it's such a fun thing. So that's it. You've listened to a couple of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We would like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast. Go on Fishing Quest and do all sorts of silly things that nerds do. You would like to support the fish nerds go to patreon.com and search for fish nerds help us help us crowdfund this show special thanks to jason sacco of outdoor adventures with jason uh and until next time follow the code of the fish nerd spawn early and often avoid free lunches with strings attached and swim against the current every
Do 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 do